Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts. The New Testament book of Acts and Acts in chapter number one. For those of you who are looking for it in your Bible, come to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Acts in chapter number one. Now, we are still in a series dealing with the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the last couple weeks, what we've done is we've laid a foundation, explaining terms, defining what we mean, that we've also started to hit a timeline of the different events that occur in the future that deal with us. Now we want to just take some time to see a Old Testament prophecy carried out in the New Testament and how the New Testament makes a further prophecy. And we find this in the book of Acts in chapter number one. The book of Acts in chapter number one. And if you don't mind, notice with me starting at verse number six. Acts chapter one and verse number six. Here the Lord Jesus Christ has taken his disciples. Jesus Christ has already died on the cross. He's been buried, rose again the third day, and he spent 40 days with his disciples. Now as Jesus Christ is getting ready to ascend to heaven, his disciples start off by asking him a question. Notice with me in Acts chapter one and verse six. When they, the disciples, therefore were come together, they asked of him, that's Jesus, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, so shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a statement that is said to the disciples in the book of Acts chapter 1? Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11, notice the phrase, this same Jesus. This same Jesus. And with the Lord's help, we want to preach you a message and based off of the prophecy of what Jesus Christ had just uh, given to the disciples, and now the angels are now reaffirming it, this same Jesus. 
If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God and thank you for the great privilege it is to be in your house this morning. I'm asking that you would help our minds and our attention to be upon you even now, that we can look up towards you and that we can understand what you have in plan and that we can look forward in anticipation for this. I'm asking that this message would be one of comfort, one of hope, one of encouragement, one to strengthen people's faith about this same Jesus. Lord, set my words in order. Help my thoughts to be placed the way that you want them. I give them both to you in my health and my mind. And that you just use me as you see fit as I surrender myself to you. Fill me with your spirit. And that you would get a work accomplished that would matter for eternity this morning. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ spent 40 days with his disciples. Jesus knew that he was going to have to ascend to heaven. So he spends a bit of time to give some final instructions to the disciples, trying to give them what they need so they will continue the work after he leaves, that they don't just quit, that they don't say, well, because Jesus isn't here to keep track over us, that we're just going to slack off. He was trying to give them some last minute instructions so that way they would continue to do the things he had trained them to do for three and a half years. As the disciples are now speaking with him, they then bring up an idea of prophecy. Notice with me in verse number six, Acts chapter one, verse six. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel. Now, remember at this time, Israel is not its own kingdom. It is a province, a state found within the Roman Empire. Right now, the Romans are the people who are ruling the world. The Jewish people are just living in a country within the Roman Empire. And the one thing about the Jewish people is that they did not like the Roman rule. Partly is because of how they became under the thumb of the Roman Empire is that about a hundred and something years before, some guy went to the Roman Empire and said, hey, I own all of Israel. He did not. He says, would you buy it from me? And they could be part of your empire. Sure, that sounds like a good deal. So they put this contract together. Then the Romans just walked right into all of Judea and said, hey, guess what? We own you now. And they went, what just happened? So they were never happy. It wasn't like they were conquered. You know, if they were conquered, that's one thing. Okay, fine, you beat us. We, we're, we're your servants. Someone had committed fraud, and because of this, the Hebrew people were not happy. They were their own country, and now they're under the rule of the Romans. So in the Old Testament, the prophecies of the millennial kingdom were always very important and very hopeful one. That in the Old Testament, it's God gave the promise that there would be a king from the lineage of David who would be in charge of a kingdom forever. And so for the Jewish people, they were looking forward to this Messiah, this coming king to establish the kingdom. Now they had in mind something different than what the Bible says. You see, they hated the Roman government. So they had in mind that this Messiah was going to come down, look at all the Romans and say, be ye gone. And all the Romans would die. And then Jerusalem would be the capital of the world. And then everyone would have to follow Judaism. That's what they had in mind. But they had a misunderstanding of prophecy. 
even the disciples, because they were trained with this mindset, they know the king, they know it's Jesus. So they said, all right, Jesus, you died on the cross. We saw you die. You were buried on a tomb. Then the third day you rose again and you're clearly with us. Jesus had already spent time eating with them. Why did Jesus eat? Did he need it? No, but it left evidence, right? You could take an apple and see teeth marks. Look, someone took a bite of this apple. We watched him do this. They saw evidence that he was alive. 40 days he spent with them and they knew that this Jesus lived. Now, as they see this risen savior, they know he's the Messiah. They know he's the son of God. They saw the miracle of him coming again. Their natural question is, all right, Jesus, is it time for you just to topple the Roman government? Is it now? Is it time? Are you starting the kingdom now? Can, uh, is it time to go? And notice as they give this, they're getting excited. Remember, they had understood that in the Old Testament, there was a promise that God would set up a kingdom. They are just responding to that promise. Notice in verse number seven. And he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, it is not for you to know of the times and the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. So Jesus said, it's none of your business right now. You know, what he's telling them is that tomorrow is none of your business. How much time we often waste looking at the future and ignoring what's going on in the here and now. And so Jesus is saying, listen, that prophecy stuff, it's good to listen to, but you need to be paying attention to what I've given you to do right now. There's an old expression in religious terms that some people could be so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. That they have an idea with that statement is that they're so worried about future events that they don't live for the here and now. They don't do what they're supposed to. Oh no, I'm studying prophecy. Okay, well are you reading your Bible? No, I'm studying prophecy. Hey, are you uh, being a good husband? No, I'm studying prophecy. They're no earthly good. Well, Jesus is saying, you need to pay attention to what you're doing here and now. Sure, that stuff's important in the future and you need to know something about it, but not to the neglect of what you're supposed to do right now. What are you supposed to do right now? So Jesus reminds them of what he, they're supposed to do. Verse number eight, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So he promised them the power of God's Holy Spirit, that when Jesus came up, he was going to send another comforter. That word another means another of the same kind. That means Jesus, who is God, will go up, and the Holy Spirit, who is God, is going to come down. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Notice that word witness. That here they said they're supposed to go witnessing. May I remind you that you cannot be uh, go witnessing until you are first a witness. The noun must follow the verb or come before the verb. For example, if we heard right now a big car accident outside of the church doors and we go rush out to help and the officers are there trying to clear the scene, they say, all right, who saw what happened? If somebody who was inside of this building raised their hand and said, officer, let me tell you what happened. The officer will ask him, well, did you see what happened? No, 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 but I'll tell you what happened. They're going to set you aside. 
Because they want a witness. They want someone who witnessed and observed these occurrences. That the noun must come before the verb. You must be a witness before you go witnessing. What am I supposed to witness? Witness the saving power of Jesus Christ. That we're all sinners and because of our sins that we've offended a holy righteous God. But that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins and rose again the third day. And we personally accepted that promise because the disciples had accepted that promise. They knew that they had a risen savior. They knew that God's promises were real. Now they could go tell others what they personally experienced. They could go witnessing because they were first a witness. Notice as it goes on. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, that's where they lived at, and in all Judea, that's the region they lived at, and in Samaria, that's the northern region, the neighboring country or province state next to them, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So don't worry about prophetic events to the neglect of now. You need to pay attention to what I have given you to do right now. Verse number nine, and when he had spoken these things, so notice this, as soon as he tells them, don't pay attention to the future or don't keep your mind on the future, pay attention to what you're doing now. At that same moment when he's done talking with them, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of his sight. Now imagine this wonderful thing. Jesus is giving him instructions. Listen, boys, you need to concentrate on what I've given you to do right now. And as he says, right now, he starts ascending up to heaven. There's no strings. There's no jetpack. He just starts floating up in the air. Now, wouldn't that be an amazing sight? What do the disciples do with this? Verse number 10. And while they look steadfastly toward heaven as they went up, you would do the same thing too. If you just saw some guy who was talking with you all of a sudden ascend up to heaven, you'd be looking up too. You see him anymore? Hey, you keep, anybody, you find him? He, he went behind that cloud. Is he falling? Is it, can you still see him? They're all looking at him. And they look at him an absorbently long time, and you would too, just trying to see if you could find him anymore. Is he going up, coming back down? What's going on? And they're all staring up at the sky. So much that God had to send two angels to come and speak to them. Verse 10. And while they beheld steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, two men stood by them in white apparel. We would understand these to be angels. Verse 11. Which also asked, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up to heaven? So, if you can imagine, I, my divine imagination kind of runs wild, but I can imagine there's the 12 disciples and there's Peter looking up, the leader, looking up. And one of the angels trying to get his attention and he's looking up. So finally one kicks him. Hey, what are you guys doing looking up there? He's gone. But notice what else they say. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So this is going to be a further promise given to them that this same Jesus. Now, did they know Jesus fairly well traveling two and a half years with him? Sharing the same campfire, sleeping in the same campsite as him, watching the miracles, watching him risen. They knew him quite well. So when he said, this same Jesus shall come, 
They understood that to mean literally that very same Jesus. The historical Jesus. This same Jesus is coming back. Now what does that mean? That means that we're not getting a clone of Jesus Christ. That they don't have some clone factory hidden somewhere where they're doing experiments where they're trying to make a different form of Jesus. No, the historical Jesus, that's the one coming back. Not a replacement, not a doppelganger, not a shadow, not a image. This very same historical Jesus is the same one that's coming back. Now notice how it says he's coming back. We saw this same Jesus is coming back, but notice how. It says, this same Jesus, which is taking up from you into heaven, so shall come in like manner. In like manner. That means that this same Jesus, not a replacement, not a clone, not a doppelganger, not a replacement, this same Jesus will come in the same exact manner as you saw him go up. So let's logically think this out. Did they see Jesus Christ go up to heaven? Literally. They did. It was a literal person who went up, not an imaginary person where the person's standing there and we're watching some essence go up in the air. Jesus literally went up to the air. Did Jesus come up physically? Was he in a physical body when he went up? And what did he come did he go up in the air visibly? So that same manner that the disciples saw Jesus go up, that same Jesus, not a replacement, not a clone, that same historical Jesus will come and say the like manner. What manner? He went up literally, he went up physically, and he went up visibly. When he comes back, he is coming back literally, physically, and visibly. If you don't mind, I'd like to take this message and take those three ideas that Jesus Christ is coming back literally, Jesus Christ is coming back physically, and Jesus Christ is coming back visibly and show you in the Bible that this promise has been given in other places and that we have this same hope that this same Jesus, the historical Jesus, the one that we always talk about is the one that is going to come back for us. This is our great hope. Notice if you don't mind that this same Jesus will come back literally. This same Jesus will come back literally. If you don't mind, notice with me in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, he will come back literally. Revelation chapter number one, we have a verse here that is talking about Jesus Christ's second coming. The second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice with me Revelation chapter one. Revelation chapter one and notice with me in verse number seven. Revelation chapter one and verse seven. It says, and behold, he, that's Jesus, cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Also they that pierced him and the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Notice in verse 7. Verse 7, this is going to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. But the second coming of Jesus Christ comes back in two phases. This is going to be important to note. The first phase 
behold, he cometh with clouds. That is the first phase of Jesus Christ's second coming. This is what we often call the rapture, that Jesus Christ will come down and meet us in the air, then us who are on this earth, who have accepted Christ as a Savior, are going to be called away. The Bible word is raptured. We're going to be raptured out of this world to meet him in the air. Then there's going to be seven years of tribulation, which the Bible speaks about in the book of Revelation. And notice in verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Here's the second phase of Jesus Christ's coming, is that he's going to come back physically on this earth, visibly for all the world to see. So the second coming of Jesus Christ comes into two phases. The first phase is the rapture where he's calling all of us away to him. Then the second phase when he comes back down on the earth and we come back with him. If you don't mind, let's kind of just explore this a little bit. This idea of the rapture, this calling away. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now I appreciate your patience. I'm just building a case and letting you see from the scripture that this same Jesus is coming in like manner. He is coming back literally. He's coming back physically. And he is coming back, (coughs) uh, excuse me, (coughs) he's coming back visibly, physically, and literally. Notice with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, The first Thessalonians chapter four is written by the apostle Paul. And he often would speak about the second coming of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is coming back and they would be excited for it. Well, because he spoke so much about the second coming of Jesus Christ, someone wrote a letter to the apostle Paul and said, Mr. Paul, I got a question. The second coming of Jesus Christ is a real event. We are excited for it. But what happens if one of our loved ones die before... Jesus Christ comes back. What happens to them? Well, that's a very good question. So with pen and paper in hand in the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul answers that question, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in verse number 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. The word asleep is a nice kind Bible word of saying that they're dead, that they're passed on. So he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to have understanding concerning those who who are asleep or have already died before you. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others that have no hope. Now, our hope is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll walk through the rest of this passage here. But do you know that there are sometimes you could have a funeral that has no hope whatsoever? No hope of seeing their loved ones again. Those are awful funerals to perform. I've seen before where they would have a casket there and some lady just come and just drape herself over the casket, sobbing uncontrollably because she has no hope of seeing her loved one again. The Bible says that for us Christians, that if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior and they know Jesus Christ is our Savior, that the funerals for us are quite different. That it's not so long forever, it's see you in a little while. That we have a hope even in a funeral. Notice again in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. 
for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be uh, with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words." Oh, what great comfort that we have that we get to see our loved ones again. That if they've accepted Christ and we've accepted Christ, we have the promise of God that we will see them again. And when would we see them again? When Jesus Christ comes back. When he comes in the clouds, it will be a literal event. This is not a spiritual event, meaning, well, Jesus is just with us all the time. No, Jesus Christ is coming back literally. And it will be a literal event that will occur. In fact, the Bible speaks about in a different passage to how quick this event happens. It's in a twinkling of an eye. Scientists who study such things say that a twinkling of an eye is one one thousandth of a second. Just in a literal snap of your fingers, a quick time, we're there and we're gone. And we're immediately with the Lord and we'll see all those that have passed on before who've accepted Christ if we have accepted Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, that also means that if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that when this event comes, that you will be left behind. You will not be a part of this event, and you will not have the promise of seeing your loved ones again. This is a big deal. This is a literal event that will occur when Jesus Christ comes back. That in his first phase, he will call us up from the air and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then us that are alive and remain shall meet them together in the air to meet the Lord in the clouds. This is a very real event. Now, after the rapture will be a seven years of tribulation, then Jesus Christ will literally come back on this earth. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You're in 1 Thessalonians, just turn to the next book. Now, by the way, when Paul wrote this to the church of Thessalonica, they all got excited. Jesus Christ is coming back and it's so real. We're looking forward to it. So much so that they quit their jobs and sold their houses and waited on top of hilltops. All right, Jesus, waiting for you. Now, remember the, what we said before is that don't worry so much about prophecy. You need to concentrate on what you're doing right now. Well, they failed to pay attention to that. They, they were all looking forward to the future event. Oh, we're looking forward to this, that they sold their houses, quit their jobs, and was just waiting for something to happen. What happens is that Paul heard this and quickly had to write again and say, wait, wait, Jesus Christ is coming. But until he comes, we have to work on the here and now. We, we still have to live this life. We have to pay the bills and take care of the kids and water the dog and make sure the wife is taken care of. We've got to do those things now. We, we can't neglect those. Notice that in first, uh, Second Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Notice with me verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him that ye be not so soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as the day of Christ 
is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there be a falling away first, that the Son of Man be revealed, and the Son of Perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. Now, let me catch up to what's going on. So the apostle Paul says, listen, the rapture, he's going to call us away. But Jesus Christ isn't going to finish his coming down until a couple other events happen. First of all, the Antichrist is going to come to power. When the Antichrist comes to power, he's going to seem like he's going to solve all the world's problems. After all, there's going to be a lot of problems. Can you imagine that all the people disappear off this earth? Don't you think there'd be a little bit of a panic? People would be kind of concerned. So the Antichrist says, listen, in order to keep track of all of you, we're going to put a microchip inside of you that has GPS that we can always tell where you're at. So aliens come or something happens, we'll know where you are and we'll send a rescue team. So everyone, please take this mark, take this in you. We're going to keep track of where you're at. People are going to do it in droves. In addition, he's going to go, you know what? I need to solve this homeless problem. Guess what? All of these houses opened up. All these people disappeared and doesn't look like they're coming back. Hey, everybody, get yourself a house. Hey, transportation problem? Oh, don't worry. We have all these people who disappeared. They left their cars behind. Hey, guess what? Everybody doesn't have a car. Here's a car for you. He's going to sound like a hero as he comes and solves these problems. But his ultimate goal is that he wants to be worshipped as God. He's going to make a peace agreement with the Hebrew people to rebuild their temple. And after they rebuild the temple, he's going to sit upon the throne and he's going to declare himself to be God. And the Jewish people are going to realize, oops, this was not our Messiah that we were waiting for. That's what it just got through speaking about in verse uh, number four. Who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is God or is as worship that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Basically, he's going to declare himself to be God to all the people. Now, what Paul is saying is that Jesus Christ is going to come back visibly on earth on the second phase of his coming, but this has to happen first. Verse 5, remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things, and now ye know that withhold um, that, and now ye know what withholdeth that, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Then that shall <clears throat> then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, shall destroy the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they shall believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What Paul is saying is that right now we need to be working because people are blinded. People right now are believing a lie, that they are not doing what's right, but they're having pleasure in unrighteousness. They need to know that Jesus Christ died for them, and they need to be forgiven of their sins to pay attention to the things on earth. Now, we talked about that this same Jesus will come back 
literally. We are also mentioned that this same Jesus will come back physically. Notice with me in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, we have recorded when Jesus Christ comes back physically on this earth. He will come back physically, not a spirit, not a manifestation, not an image, not a mirage, not an illusion. Physical, historical Jesus who walked with his three disciples, that historical Jesus is coming back on this earth and guess what's going to happen? See what it says in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19 in verse 11. Revelation 19 and 11. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name was called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven, by the way that's us, followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword and with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepresses of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he had a vest and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ is coming back. And guess what? We're coming with him. And when Jesus Christ comes back on this earth physically, we're coming back physically as well. We are coming back on this earth literally and physically with Jesus Christ because of the hope and the promises that Jesus made. That Jesus Christ is coming back literally. He is coming back, <coughs> he is coming back, excuse me, visibly. He's also coming back physically. May I show you one pass more passage? You've been very patient with me, but turn with me to the Old Testament passage of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah. Now, if you were found the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and turn the other direction, you come to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and then the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14. Now, the Old Testament has so many passages dealing with the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, and it explains how Jesus Christ is coming back, how the Messiah is going to be revealed. And we know that this same Jesus shall come in like manner, that the disciples saw Jesus Christ go up literally. Jesus Christ will come back literally. They saw Jesus Christ go up uh, <coughs> visibly, and Jesus Christ will come back visibly. They saw Jesus Christ go up physically. They'll also see Jesus Christ come back physically. Notice with me Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah 14 and verse number one. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rivaled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the people. 
Now let's pause. What happens? Remember, as I said, the Antichrist is going to sit upon the throne that was built with a rebuilt Jewish temple. And he's going to declare himself to be God. When he declares himself to be God, the Jewish people are going to go, oops, we made a mistake. Jesus must have been our Messiah, not this guy. Now when the Jewish people reject the Antichrist, he is going to be very upset. And he is going to send a persecution upon the, the Jewish people that they have never seen before. The Holocaust killed 6 million Jews. May I say that the Holocaust is going to be nothing compared to what the Antichrist wants to do to them? And they are going to flee from their lives and they're going to abandon the city of Jerusalem. And in here it talks about how the nations of the world are going to gather. They're going to be under the authority of the Antichrist. They're going to destroy the city and catch anybody who's left behind uh, in the city of the Jewish people. And they're going to ravish them and beat them and torture them. And during this time, all the nations are going to be gathered up under the banner of the Antichrist to think they could fight against God. They're going to raise their fist to heaven. Come on, God, what are you going to do about it? Huh? We rule this world. What are you going to do? Well, he's going to answer their reply. Notice with me in verse number three. Then, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle and his feet shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem in the east. Now let's pause. Remember that Jesus Christ is going to come in like manner, that he went up literally, he's coming down literally. He went up visibly, he came down visibly. He's going up physically, or he went up physically, he's coming down physically. By the way, in the same manner also means the very same place. Inside of the book of Acts chapter 1, where they're standing at is in the Mount of Olives, which is a hilltops right to the east of the city of Jerusalem. That's where Jesus Christ and his disciples were up and they saw Jesus go up. The disciples are staring up. They're on the Mount of Olives. Guess where he's coming back at? He's coming back physically on that very same spot in the Mount of Olives to the east of Jerusalem. That's what verse number 4 was saying. And his feet shall stand in that day physically upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. And there shall be a very great valley and half the mountain shall remove towards the north and half toward the south. Now, if you could forgive, I watched too much television, probably like you did. But when Jesus Christ comes down physically, it's going to leave a mark that as he comes down and lands on the mountain, it's going to break in two when he comes down. That's going to leave a mark. It's going to come down physically. That's not imagination. That's a physical being coming down on physical earth. And it's going to change the whole topography of the area. Very much so. It's, the Mediterranean Sea is going to be now part land as the earth now kind of uh, readjust to Jesus' physical landing. Verse number five. And ye shall flee to the valley and to the mountains, and the valley of the mountains shall reach Aziel. And ye shall flee as fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah the king. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. Guess what? That's exactly what it was said in Revelation 19. Jesus Christ is coming back. He is coming back to rule and reign. He is coming back literally. He is coming back visibly. He's coming back 
physically. When he comes back down on this earth, we're coming with him and he's going to set up his millennial reign then and he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And by the way, all he has to do to defeat these armies is just say a word and they're defeated. They're gone. Jesus is going to win it. We're coming back as his mighty army and we're going to do absolutely nothing. He's going to do all the work. This same Jesus. Which Jesus? Historical Jesus. The one that we read about in the Gospels. That's the same Jesus who's coming back to rule and to reign. That's the same Jesus we're coming back with. And that's the same Jesus that our hope is upon. A real hope. Our faith in him that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. All throughout the Bible it explains more about this event. I just gave you just some and I gave you quite a bit. There is a ton of passages speaking about this. This same Jesus is coming back literally. This same Jesus is coming back physically. This same Jesus is coming back visibly. This same Jesus is coming in so like manner. So the question is for you, do you know this same Jesus? Jesus told his disciples that they needed to stay on this earth to do one job, that they shall be witnesses of him in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. What are we supposed to be witnesses of? God's saving grace. You see, every single one of us are sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. I'm a pastor of a church, but I have to admit that I've told lies before. And I'm sure that you'd be willing to admit that you've told lies before. I'm a pastor of a church, but I've disobeyed my folks. If you've ever disobeyed your folks, raise your hand. Parents are making sure their kids are raising their hand right now. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have failed. Every single one of us. Do you know that in order to be with God, we have to be perfect? But we've just admitted that we're not perfect. The Bible goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death. That word sin is, means anything that we've done against God's law. Telling a lie, disobeying, God's, or disobeying our folks. That's a sin. And we've all committed sin. The Bible says for the wages of sin. A wage is something we earn. For example, most of us go to work because we go to work, we earn money. Unless you earn cupcakes or something, but we earn something because we go to work, we earn something because of it. The thing that we owe God because of our sin for the wages of sin is death. The word death literally carries the idea of separation. Because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from a holy, righteous God. When we die, the Bible says there's only two places to go. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. Because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from God. And there's only one other place to go other than heaven. That's an awful place called hell. Because we sinned, we deserve to be separated from God and we deserve to go to that awful place called hell. Do you know that God never created hell for a single human to go there? He created hell to punish Satan and his demons. But man goes there by default because there's nowhere else to go. You said, preacher, this is not good news. I know. But let me tell you what the good news is. That Jesus, who is God, robed himself in flesh and came down on this earth physically, visibly, 
and literally. And he lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin debt and to pay for mine. He rose again the third day to prove that he was God and to prove that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That Jesus Christ paid our debt. He paid our wage. He paid our price. He did it so we didn't have to. And all we have to do is accept that gift for ourselves. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty that we owe God. God shall deliver us from. John 3, 16, the most famous Bible verse in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God wants you to go to heaven so much that he came on this earth physically literally and visibly and lived on this earth. He loved you so much that he died on the cross visibly, physically, and literally. He died, was buried, and he rose again. Same way, physically, literally, <laughs> and visibly. Other people saw him. It wasn't imaginary. It wasn't a ghost. They saw him. Then he ascended up to heaven physically, literally, and visibly. And one day Jesus Christ is coming back to finish off what he said he was going to do. And he's going to do it physically, literally, <coughs> and visibly. Now the question is, is have you ever personally accepted Jesus Christ and his promise? That Jesus is going to forgive you of his sins and to bring you up to heaven to live with him and then come down on this earth and live with him during this reign and then take us back to eternity for the future? Have you ever trusted God to forgive you of your sins? Have you ever trusted God for this promise? Let me tell you that when you trust God for this promise, it is real. It's not imaginary. It's not something that's just we made up. This is something that is based off of evidence, based off of history, based off of what the word of God says. Can you believe what is true? Can you put your hope in this? If you do not know Jesus Christ, your Savior, in just a moment, we're going to have something called an invitation. Now, there's nothing magical about these altars, but we are inviting you to respond to God. That if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, we'll have someone take an open Bible and show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven and that you're right with God. For those of you who are saved, are you concentrating on what God has given you to do right here and right now? Or are you so worried about things in the future that you miss out on what God's given us to do right here and right now? We have a great God and I'm thankful that we could put our trust and our hope and our faith in something that is real and that Jesus Christ, this same Jesus, shall come back in like manner, visibly, literally, and physically this same Jesus. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.